This morning we are continuing this conversation about a evolution. But what was the nastiest thing that you've ever had to fix? I'm talking about fixing stuff. What's the nastiest thing? I tell you, I uh, in in uh, grad school I worked in construction a little bit in the summers. And uh, I worked with, I was an excavator, and we worked with these plumbers, and we had to fix sewer pipes a lot. And, uh, man, fixing sewers, there's just no way for it not to be nasty, you know? It just is. And I heard another guy, uh, another guy, a plumber, uh, at a different point in my life, talk about fixing the toilet. Have you ever had to fix your toilet? Who's ever here had to fix the toilet? And... Um, and the way he used to say it, he said, you know, there's, there's all kinds of ways to approach it, but if your toilet needs to be fixed, like, the only way to really get in there is to get down on your hands and knees and hug that thing, right? And, uh, and nobody wants to do that, right? Nobody does. So there's, there's some nasty, some hard things to fix. And the reason we're talking about fixing today is just because all of us have something that needs to be fixed. All of us do. You know, there's things that we know that in our yard, or in our life, uh, in our yard as well, but in our life just aren't right and need to get fixed. In your yard, um, some of you, if you like to keep your yard up, uh, like you go out in the springtime, and what do you, what do, you do uh, just preventatively with your grass? What do you try to take care of? Okay, sprinklers. Yeah, how many probably have broken sprinklers already, right? They froze up. Yeah, you didn't get to do it in time. You didn't get to clean them out in time. Sprinklers are broken. Um, weeds, right? Weeds, all kinds of grass issues. And there's those, those different funky kinds of grass that like maybe when you were a kid that you thought they were cool. And then now as a parent, you're like, those are weeds. Those are terrible. Those are ferns, right? And, uh, and you buy these chemicals or you pay somebody. And really with fixing, you either have to work and do it or if you can't do it, you have to find somebody to do it for you. Yesterday we had a meeting here, and uh, one of the girls that came to the meeting drove up from Draper. She pulls in, and uh, her tire is almost completely flat. And now there's a couple ways to go about checking out a flat tire, right? Like you can spend some time out there, but with the tire store right up the street, what do you think I did? There's no way I'm going to do that when the tire store is just right there, right? Get somebody who has the tools and the ability and have them do that for you, right? On top of that, like here, just... As I am, I don't have the ability to take that tire off the rim. And you find somebody to fix it for you. When you can't fix it, you find somebody to fix it for you. It doesn't matter if it's in your yard, in your tire, or with your health, right? How many of you, all right, little hand survey here. How many of you are people who are like, I do not want to know what is wrong. I'm not going to the doctor. I don't want to know what's wrong, okay? And then how many of you are people who always want to go to the doctor and find out what's wrong, all right? And then how many, well, and then the other 95% of you, okay, I'm asking you this. Um, are you the one, do you like do it online now? Do you try and figure out your symptoms online, right? You Google your symptoms and uh, like you have a cough in the morning and by noon you're convinced, right, that you have tumors everywhere, right? <laughs> Crystal, thank you. Yeah, exactly. That's my wife's game. And uh, so, so every, every month we have some new dramatic kind of thing. So because we don't want to go to the doctor, but really when it comes to our health, we kind of know our own bodies, but at the same time, there's a lot of stuff that we just can't fix, right? And the older and older you get, it's like, man, this isn't me, Right? And something's wrong with my knee, and my knee isn't supposed to operate that way, but I can't fix it. Right? And so we're talking about this issue of, of sin and the fact that, man, we need a fixing. We need a remedy. 
and we're going to come to it. So we've been using this word lovelution. If it's your first time with us, we created this word just out of the idea of a love revolution. We've seen revolutions around the world a lot lately, and when a revolution happens, it's a dramatic change in the way things work. And when God's love comes into our life, it says that he makes us a new creation and that literally there is a dramatic change in the way things work. I was sitting with somebody this week here and, uh, from church, and they said, uh, they said, we don't even recognize ourselves from a year ago. They said, before we came, before we knew Christ, like, and it's not that everything is perfect right now, so, so don't get me wrong, we were talking about some stuff that's not working quite right, but they said, God has done such an amazing work in our lives, we don't even recognize ourselves. And it's kind of funny, because this is completely who we were, and now this is completely who we are, but since God came into our lives, it's, it's a totally different us. We don't even recognize ourselves. And they were just celebrating the fact that even though there's stuff still to fix, they've seen God do so much. And that's probably the same story in your life. A friend of mine um, bought me on iTunes a show a couple years ago called Iconoclasts. And um, Mr. Redford made this TV series a couple years ago, and I think they made two seasons of it. And uh, if you can ever watch Iconoclasts, I'd encourage you to. Anybody ever seen it? It's a great documentary. You've got to see it. And, um, and so what they do is uh, they take two people who are icons, like, in their field. You know what an icon is? They, kind of like a trend-setting person in their field. So there's tons of actors, and there's a few great icons amongst the field of actors. And there's tons of musicians, and there's a few, you know. And so there's, there's people who who are iconic, really, of that field. Does that make sense? There's architects that are iconic of their field. Um, and so they take two of those people who are similarly matched, but not exactly, and they just basically put them in life together and let them talk about life. And it's fascinating. And uh, again, highly recommend it. And uh, the one that he sent me was um, a surfer named Laird Hamilton and, uh, and then Eddie Vedder, uh, lead singer of Pearl Jam, all right? And, uh, and Eddie likes to surf and he likes the beach and, and Laird likes to rock. And, you know, so they put these two guys together and the scene opens uh, with Eddie flying into Hawaii. Laird Hamilton is a surfer and he's married to Gabrielle Reese. She was the volleyball player. And um, so he comes into their house and Laird Hamilton, if you don't know surfing, he's the guy who kind of invented the toe in into the big waves, waves that are so big that you can't paddle into them. And he kind of invented the toe in method a couple years ago surfing bigger waves than really anybody's ever been able to do. And so those pictures where you see the ginormous waves and one guy so small on it, and you think, guy's going to die, right? Laird invented that, and he's the guy that first successfully did that. And he's, he's an icon. He changed the way we surf, right? And, uh, or at least some people surf. And... And so put these two guys together, and, and it comes in, and, and it's a great conversation, but, Eddie Vedder flies in uh, in a helicopter and lands, and, and, um, and Laird Hamilton has his wife, his beautiful kids, beautiful home, and Eddie Vedder kind of comes with nothing, and it's pretty symbolic of his life, and at that point in his life, his life is just destroyed. No marriage anymore, doesn't see his kids much, you know, trying to be a good guy and at peace with himself and with the ocean, and, and it's just this amazing contrast 
of two people who are so creative and yet one who has so much, and nothing perfect, but one who has so much and, and in regards to relationship and family and, and one contrasted with him who has the same desires, but it's all broken. And about a year after that, Pearl Jam released a new album and their first, uh, the first uh, song, the first release song that came out of it was called The Fixer. And, uh, and here's the words to it. So when something's dark, uh, let me shed a little light on it. When something's cold, let me put a little fire on it. Uh, if something's old, I want to put a little shine on it. Uh, when something's gone, I want to fight to get it back again. And that's the chorus. I want to fight to get it back again. You probably heard the song. Uh, it goes on. When something's broke, I want to put some fixing on it. Um, when something's low, I want to put a little high on it. When signals cross, I want to put a little straight on it. If there is no love, I'm going to try to love again. And the song is called The Fixer. And he says, I want, to, I want to fix things. When things are broken, I inherently want to fix them. When things are broken in my life that I want, I want to fix them. I want to hope to love again. And we come to this, this book of 1 John. And John has said over and over and over to us as people, I am writing you so that you know that you know God. He's writing to encourage believers that you know God and you walk in it. And he says, and this is the way walking with God looks. And today we come to this place and we talk about sin. And some of us are here and, and we're believers and we're, we're, caught in, we're caught in just these patterns of, of sin and destruction in our lives. And it's not what we want, but we just seem to can't, just can't get out of this rut. And, and maybe even in the last few weeks, as we've been talking, you've been saying, man, am I even a believer? Have you ever, um, have you ever just messed up so badly that you just question everything? Have you ever been there? Um, Man, a few years ago, I was so angry with my boys. And um, I just have this picture in my mind of being so frustrated with my boys. And, uh, and it very quickly changes to frustration with myself for failing as a dad. And then just the lingering question of, man, God... Do I even know you? Like, how is it that I am so out of control, angry over nothing? How is it that I'm so not like you? That's kind of the heart of the question, isn't it? Some of you come today and you're trying to figure out who God is and if he is. And we're really glad that you're here. And some of you are here out of, out of destruction, out of mess. Everything's fallen apart. And it's a great time to come to God. And, and, and you're here. And then some of you are here kind of because you get dragged here. Somebody wants you here. Maybe you got a lunch thing going on after this or whatever. And, and you're kind of dragged here. And, and maybe you're at the place where you're not, you don't really think there's any destruction around you, right? And a couple weeks ago, we just said when, what the gospel said to us is that when you continually walk without God in, in sin and you're not convicted by it, it's like being blind. It, it's like you don't, you don't see it, so you're not convicted by it. And so 
some of you may, may be here and there's no conviction. And, and what John has just said is, man, this is a great place to come. I'm glad that you're here because God wants to, he wants to reveal himself to you for you to believe in him. And then he'll do this work in you. So, so as we come, we come from a ton of different angles. Um, and, and the question is, man, God, do I really believe? And what John wants us to walk away with, if you're a believer, he wants you to walk away encouraged to know that you know him and you, you can be confident that you know him. And if you're not a believer, John wants you to know that there is forgiveness, there is remedy, there is life. And God wants to give it to you. Um, here at K2, um, our, our absolute reason that we talk about Jesus so much and we talk about the gospel so much is because Jesus is alive and he changes people's lives. Um, it's the reason we talk about him wherever we go. It's the reason why if you love Jesus and you talk about him with people around you, it's really what you are excited about, the change in your life and how he continues to to help you to walk with him and in life and in the, what he does in other people's lives. And so just constantly the joy of serving here is the stories of what God is doing in people's lives. And Mac and Melissa um, uh, Van Rankin, you might know them, um, they've been kind enough to share their story with us today. So, man, would you, uh, would you just say, God, what do you want to speak to me about this morning? We're going to hear from Mac and Melissa even now. Let's play that. I was about 14 years old. I got a TV for Christmas. And we hooked cable up to the TV and it didn't take me long to find a channel that wasn't right, wasn't appropriate. And most of my nights I'd be surfing those channels, um, looking for stuff I shouldn't have been looking for. 18, 19 years old, then I went to college, had a computer. It was about my junior year in, in college. Halfway through my junior year, I met my wife. I thought, oh yeah, here, here we go. I'm in love now, I won't have to do this, I won't have to look at this. Still did. She had no clue that I struggled with this. Angry all the time, I was constantly angry. And I would go down and look at pornography every other night, sometimes every night. I remember one night, we were at dinner, and Melissa asked a simple question. It wasn't even like confronting me, and I just picked up the plate and threw it against the wall, and my daughter was sitting there. She was crying. Melissa was looking at me like, where did this come from? Shortly after, I go back downstairs to look at pornography. After she caught me, oh, okay, you caught me, I'm done. I won't do it anymore. And, and I was, and I meant it. You know, I, I meant it 100%. I wasn't going to do it anymore. A few days later, I'm back down there. And then I had to hide it because I, oh, I'm not going to hurt her anymore. It was a constant battle. She would catch me. It was never me going to her and saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. I got to admit. The whole time I knew God was still there, but I just didn't want any part of him at all. And I... I consciously chose to push him out of the way, and when I did that, it just got, I was just a complete rage the entire time.
Stuff gets out of control, doesn't it? Stuff that God uh, made for good. We looked at it last couple weeks ago, remember? We talked about uh, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And John said all of these things, they get out of control. There's something right there. Sexuality is, is right. It's woven into who we are as people. And it's made for marriage between a man and a woman. And it's supposed to be amazing and powerful. And it gets out of control. Pride of life. Um, desire to succeed and to, to work hard and well. The desire to produce. The desire to be creative. That's stuff that God has woven into us. Uh, that right stuff of who we are about life that, that he's called us to, to, to work hard and earn a living and provide for our kids and to leave a legacy and, and even to leave an inheritance and to provide for our family. And that, that gets out of control. And we lust after more and more and we... We wrap our identity up in what we have and what we've accomplished. And as we come to the word today in 1 John 3, um, all of us know that there's stuff falling apart in our lives. And, and some of you are here asking the question, is there a God who can fix this? And some of you are here and, and you have, you've come to know him and you've, You've hoped, man, it's going to make everything simple, and still I struggle and struggle with sin, and, and where does that leave me? And so we're going to go to 1 John chapter 3, because today we're talking about this love-illusion that can take place with sin, this dramatic change that can take place in your life with sin, this dramatic change where, where God can, can literally bring healing and fixing into your life and mine. I'm going I'm to just read this, uh, this passage, and it's in 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 1 to 10, and uh, if you want, you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's some in the back you can grab, and if you don't own one, that's our gift to you. 1 John 3, uh, 1 through 10. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin itself is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Let me pray for us this morning. God, as we come to you this morning, God, it's my prayer uh, this morning, as it is every week, that you would speak, that you'd turn on the lights, that you would take your word and illuminate it through your Holy Spirit to us as your people. Uh, God, your word is pretty clear that you're the one who draws us to yourself. Your word's pretty clear that we can't understand this stuff with natural thinking that you have to reveal it. And so, so God, here we are, and we're listening to your word. Would you teach us this morning? God, I pray that our church would, would be the kind of church where, where, God, we would be very honest and straightforward about the sin in our lives that you have saved us from, the sin in our lives that we continue to struggle with. And how absolutely amazing you are. How absolutely patient and kind and forgiving and righteous you are. God, that's my prayer that you'd teach us and that you would uh, compel us to, to come closer to you this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the first part really here is that when, when, when you believe in Christ, um, God does a new work in you. It's what he does. He says that he makes us a new creation, that he, that he actually puts his life in us. If, if you go back down to uh, verse 9, it says, No one who's born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. Literally, the word is sperm, that God's life, just like when when uh, sperm goes into a woman and they conceive, there is life created. And literally, when you come to believe in Christ, it says he makes us new. That literally there is a new creation. And his goal for you and I, says in Romans 12, is that we would be transformed literally um, metamorphosis, that we would go from one, one kind of creature or creation to be a new creation, a better creation. And, and that literally his life is in us, okay? God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God, okay? I want you to understand something right from the start because if, if you're listening here and I'm listening and if, if John says, hey, the believer, he cannot sin. The believer, she cannot continue in her sin. And if you and I are listening to that, then all of us are sitting here saying, but, but I sin." Right? I, I know I sin. I, I know I sinned this week. I know, uh, I know maybe I sinned even last night. I, I know that we were sinning in the car all the way here this morning and until we got out of the car in the parking lot, right? Um, and so, how, how does that work? And so just, I want you to understand pretty clearly that the, the tense and the, the direction that John has been saying over, over and over here in 
in 1 John is that the Christian who, who knows God, who has been made a new creation, who believes in him, has new life in him or her, and they do not continue in sin. They do not unrepentantly, unknowingly, unbattlingly continue in sin. And we've already heard from John that if you continue to just hard-heartedly walk in the darkness, I don't care about it, I don't think about it, I don't, it doesn't bug me at all, then what John says is maybe, maybe Christ isn't in you, right? Uh, but like the people who I was talking with this week, they look in the Hindview mirror for a year and they're like, I don't even recognize myself. And there's tons of struggle still right now. There's tons of stuff that God continues to reveal for us and, and we still have a lot of work to go and there's still stuff that he is fixing, but, but wow, the dramatic change, okay? And too often, the way we as Christians have rolled this out is, is it says, well, Christians aren't supposed to sin, so we don't talk about sin. We don't talk about our struggle. We don't talk about sin. In, in fact, it's the exact opposite of what God's word calls us to do. Do you know that in, in James, it actually says, confess your sins one to another, right? My sin, confess it to others around me. In your marriage, confess your sin to one another. Confess your struggles to each other. With some dudes or some ladies around you, confess your sin to one another and... And not only does it say that you'll be forgiven, right? When, when you confess your sin to each other, not in confessing where that person is your priest or your mediator, but, but literally it says that there is freedom in it. It says that when I interact in Galatians, it says that when I interact with my brother in Christ or my sister in Christ about sin, that I save them from a whole train wreck, right? If you come up to me and you say, lad, I really, I really think that this was wrong. I think the way you treated that person wasn't right. And it's sin. It says that you, if you come in love, that you, you come and you save me by bringing truth into my life so that I can walk in the freedom of what God called us to walk in, to love one another. Does that make sense? And, and literally, what we typically do as Christians is we say, well, Christians aren't supposed to sin, so let's not, let's not talk about it. Or like the rest of our culture, our, our men got together for a couple uh, Friday night and Saturday morning, and on Friday night they were talking about how we as Americans, and, and really typically we as guys, guys you ought to listen, he just says, we constantly blame stuff and, and our own junk on everybody else, right? Well, you know, I mean, it's kind of what I was born with. My dad, he was, you know... And so I can't help it. You know, my dad was a drunk, and so I just, I, I can't help it, right? Or uh, my mom was so angry, and that's the way she always treated me. So, of course, I'm going to treat my kids that way. And I it was kind of given, I, it's probably even genetic, right? It's a genetic disposition. And we tend to blame everything on everyone else. Or, or my spouse, you know, they just, they don't meet my needs, right? So, i I've been put in this position. What am I supposed to do? I can't be unhappy. And instead of calling it sin and, and saying, okay, got it. Man, I need to be healed. I need to be fixed. And so it really starts in just this whole idea of a new work that literally 
that God does a new work. As we approach Christmas, um, this is the message of Christmas, that, that God didn't think it okay to stay far off, aloof, away from us, but he sent his son to reveal who he is and his love for us right here with us as a man, that, that literally his name is Emmanuel, God is with us. And through his work, those who believe have become a new creation, all right, a new work. And uh, in giving us that, that, new, that new work of God, um, that new work of God where he sent his son, not as he had in the past, he sent his son to, to be here amongst us and to give us a new nature. Um, he calls us as believers to this, this revolution, this love-illusion, this new, this new resolve, all right? Going back to verse 2, here's what he says. Dear friends, now that we're the children of God, and what, uh, sorry, dear friends, now we are the children of God. Let me stop right there. Um, if, If you're a believer in Christ, you know that you have been adopted, right? No one is born, okay, no one is is just born. Just because your parents were Christians doesn't mean you're a Christian. Everyone is adopted, into the Son of God. Literally, it says that we are adopted, we are made co-heirs with Christ, that, that God's Son is Jesus. And literally, um, if, if you know a family that has adopted kids in it, and um, you've probably seen some families, not, not here, not any of our families that have adopted kids, but you've seen, you've seen some families that um, there are kids that are adopted in that are never really kids. Do you know what I mean? In the family. They're always visitors in that family. Have you ever seen that or seen that notion on TV or something like that? And uh, there, there are people who are adopted into the family, but they, they're never really accepted into the family. Or the brother, you know, always reminds the adopted son, you're not really one of our family, right? And, and specifically, all of us who are adopted into God's family and made his children, all of us are adopted. And we are adopted through the work, through the death and resurrection of the other son, right? Of Jesus. Does that make sense? So, man, we are fully embraced as children of God. And that's exactly what he says. He says, we are the children of God. And that's exactly what we are. All right? Uh, continuing, he says, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, so everyone who has this hope that Jesus is returning, he says, everyone who has this hope that we will see him again, he purifies himself just as he is pure. So if you and I um, know that we have been adopted into the family of God, we've, brought in, we've been made a new creation, we've been adopted into his family. And if we really believe what Jesus said, um, last week we were talking about how he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is not just a good teacher. He is not just a good man with a good morals and try and be like him and try and live a decent life. He said, I am God. I am the Messiah. You, you're going to kill me and I will rise again in three days. And the foundation of our faith is in that event, right? It's in that historical event. It's not in a philosophical idea. It's not in love sounds great and I'll go for that. It is in the event that Jesus rose from the dead. That is the foundation of our faith. And, and so 
He is the Messiah. He said he was God. He said that you're going to kill me because I'm saying that I'm God. They did. He said, I'm going to raise from the dead. He rose from the dead. And hundreds of people saw him and watched him ascend into heaven. Went back to be with the Father. He rode on the clouds into heaven. All right? He didn't even need to get towed into that wave, right? So he just, he paddled, he rode into, rode into heaven on the clouds. And he said, the same way that I have gone, I'm going to return. And this is exactly what John is talking about right here. He said this. He said, if you believe that, and if, you've been, if you believe that you've been adopted into that family, you're going to purify yourself. You are going to live out your new nature. Does that make sense? Okay? So that's the new resolve, that we would, that we would purify ourselves. And that's where we come to fixing. Because there's some things that I can't fix. There's some things about my car that I can't fix. Right now we have this little engine problem. We took it to this guy and he's like, yep, can't fix it. You're just going to have to replace it. He goes, it runs for now. It'll run for a while, but you're just going to have to replace it. And so um, I took it to the guy who's supposed to fix it and he can't even fix it. And see, that's the issue right here. He says, there is, there is a desire in us as kids knowing that our our Savior is returning. The family that we've been made co-heirs in is returning. He says, purify yourself just as he is pure. And John is consistent with what he said in the whole book. But here's the thing. We're going to sin. He said, any Christian, if you say you're not going to sin, the only person you're lying to is yourself. So what do we do? If we have the desire to purify ourselves, but we know we're going to sin, what do we do? All right? So here's where he goes. He says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin itself is lawlessness. That's why you feel more free to speed like way out in the boonies, right? By Vernon or Vernal or whichever way you go, right? It's different than like when you're, when you're in Sugar House or Cottonwood Heights or downtown Bonneville, right? Pretty restricted. But you get way out on the other side of Salt Lake, it's game open, Right? Okay? It's because it's lawlessness, because you don't think there's any enforcement of it. Okay? So here's what he says. He says, sin itself is lawlessness. It's, it's living like there is no law. And some of you come today, and, and your life has kind of been lawless. I mean, you know there's some things that you shouldn't do, right? But, but it's like, hey, I'm going to go with what I feel. And when it doesn't seem like there's any consequences, pedal to the metal. Right? I'm going to rock it. I'm going to go for it. And, and then when it seems like there's more consequences, I'm going to slow down a little bit. All right? And, and it's, it's living exactly what he says. And, and that's why when you're by yourself, you're one way. Or when you're with a certain crew, you're one way. And then, and then when there's more speed signs and the police are on the side of the roads, and, and that's why you slow it down. You kind of play by the rules a little bit. It's called lawlessness. Okay? That's what sin itself is. And, uh, and so here's what he says. Sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so that he could take away our sins. In him is no sin. No one who lives in him, no one who's adopted in his family, verse 6, keeps on sinning. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Keeps on hard-heartedly, continually sinning. No one who continues in sin has either seen him or known him. So what do we do? Literally what he says is, if you know him, there is going to be a war inside you. 
if you don't know him, you're just going to continue on in lawlessness and you're just going to kind of kind of ride out the consequences. Pedal to the metal when there's nobody around and, and when there's somebody around or a cop around, I'll kind of slow it down and try and avoid consequences. And he says, if you know him, you are going to be sold out to purity. If you know him, you are going to fight everything to go away from God to move towards him. Does that mean you're always going to succeed with it? Absolutely not. That's why the fight is here. I was thinking about this uh, actually this morning in preparation for this. And I was thinking about sin and just like, God, why did you leave us as Christians with this problem of sin? Have you ever asked that question? And just was thinking, God, why... Why do we have so much struggle with it? Because Jesus went through great pains to let us know that that he was leaving us here in the world with temptation. He told us that really clearly. He goes, you're going to struggle with this. And and God, I'm not asking you to take him out of the world. I'm not asking you to make everything easy. I don't want you to make him puppets. I, I want them to stay in struggle. And you're like, well, man, God's an evil God. He's asked you to do something. And, and I, that's just, that's not the message of the Bible. That's not the character of God. That's nothing that we see there. And so... Have you, ever, um, have you ever been in a situation where everything just worked perfectly for you? And, and other people that it doesn't work perfectly for you, or it doesn't work perfectly for them, you don't have any compassion for them at all. Have you ever been in that situation? Um, I'm, I'm 38 years old, and... Uh, I have, I have like perfect eyesight. I have better than 20-20 vision, okay? Um, I just do. I don't know why. I just, I just have great eyes, right? So, I mean, they look good too, right? And so, uh, here's the deal. Um, I have, I, I don't know anything about putting contacts in. I don't know anything about wearing glasses. I don't care that you can't see the screen. I don't even think about it, right? I hand you something in eight font because I can read it, right? And so, it doesn't matter to me. I have no compassion for you at all. I don't even think about you. But like, if my eyes start to get bad and I got to like grab some readers, like which seems like it's probably in my future, um, I'm going to all of a sudden start to think about people who, who rock this. And, oh, okay, so maybe I could print that larger for them, right? Or maybe I could, maybe I could blow that up for them on the screen. I says, no, I, I couldn't care. I don't even know to care about you. And if, if God made us a new creation and we no longer had any struggle with sin and we just walked around in complete holiness, man, 100% function of our brain and character, it wouldn't take long. At least I don't think it would for me. I don't think it would take me long to not give a darn about anybody stuck in sin. And so for us as believers to, to constantly wrestle with what we know people are buried in and to run away from it and to be pure, but to have compassion and to know that the rage of lust in my heart at a drop of a hat. And I, th- I think God has done an amazing thing in given us his compassion for those who still are lost, who don't know the forgiveness and the freedom of Christ. 
God's done some of that in Mac and Melissa's life, and uh, we're going to continue with it right here. I remember at that time, it was like, you know what, i got to tell her. i got to tell her I did this, and I'm going to admit it to her before she finds out. It was on the way home almost to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and uh, I'll never forget. Something just came over me and said, you need to tell her, and you need to tell her now. I was like, no, I I don't want to tell her. I don't want to tell her. And I remember her saying, I'm out of here. When we get home, I'm leaving. And it just devastated me. I had told him before, like, we can't keep going down this road. This is very hurtful. I won't divorce you, but I'll just go live with my mom. Like, we're just not, I'm not going to do this to our girls. We had had a new baby. And I absolutely remember breaking at that time. And I'm driving. Both my girls are in the back seat. Melissa's in the side. And I start punching myself. Just bam, bam. I mean, and he's not, driving. not lightly. I mean, extremely hard. Finally, when I said, I do have a problem, this is an issue that I have, um, it came out. I was honest with her, honest with myself, and honest with God. And well, That was the first time you had brokenness over it. Like, finally God broke your heart over it. Yeah. I have a really good buddy, Jared Bukta. Talked to him about it, and his first question is, have you talked to Melissa? And sometimes, yeah, I talk to her before Jared, and other times I go and talk to Melissa about it. I talk to God about it way before I talk to either one of them about it. I still feel completely guilty. And when I confess to him, there's the guilt is lifted off, but still there's the negative side of having to talk to my wife about it, and that's not fun at all. (laughs) Because I see the hurt in her eyes again, and it just ah, hurts. One of the biggest things I realized through this whole battle, this whole struggle that that goes on, is that God is always there. Always. Um, And then to realize that that he died for me, you know, and took that personally, you know, and to see that, you know, just the pain and agony and taking my sin after I spit in his face. Oh, it just means so much to me. And, and just to think about, he's loved me so much to do that for me, to take my sins. Not only that, but then to start talking to me again. Where I can, you know, I can pray to him and, and he's still willing to talk and not just talk, but, you know, really love on me. And now I realize that I can go to him with anything, anything at all. And he'll be there. Here's how John started the book. He says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive our sin, and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love the way Max said it. He said, I had to get honest, right? Get honest with myself. Get honest with my wife. Get honest with God.
getting honest is the first part. Some of you struggle just like Mac did. Just like Mac does. Just like so many dudes do. Some of you uh, have had affairs in your marriage and struggle with continuing heartstrings that you have given away. Some of you struggle with contentment. And while you like the idea of contentment and you like the idea of not lusting for more, you just, you're never, ever, ever content with what God's given you. With the husband he's given you. With the kitchen he's given you. With the car he's given you. With the job he's given you. And, and John says, we all struggle with sin. And he said, if we, if we pretend like we don't have it, so we don't, we don't understand the gospel, you don't have Jesus if you think you don't have sin. And he said, if you confess your sin, he, he forgives us our sin. And he cleanses us and he purifies us. And he wants to give us this life of freedom of walking toward purity. Jesus, the last time he ate before he was crucified with his disciples, with his crew of guys, he broke the bread and he said, hey, when, when you break bread, I want you to remember that my body was broken for you and that literally in the breaking of my body, your sin is going to be paid for. And then they had wine and he said, listen, when, when you... Drink wine, I want you to remember that my blood was poured out as a sacrifice for you. My blood is spilled for your sin. And just like Matt said, the, the overwhelming power, knowing that the God of the universe became Emmanuel, God with us, took on flesh, lived here perfectly, and then paid the price for my sin. The sin I know I deserve the punishment for. I know it's me. And, and he took that on and gave me and said forgiveness and righteousness. He said, when you eat that and drink that, would you, would you remember me? So today we're going to close with this and we're going to take communion together and the, the worship team is going to come and, um, and there's going to be worship happening and there's going to be communion being passed out here by the Connections team. And, and as they come and get ready for that, the, the reality is, is that we confess in and then we need to walk away from it. Have you ever... Um, do you know where the potholes are in your normal routine? You see the potholes that were eroded by just that raging river? Can you imagine the foolishness of, of somebody driving their car closer and closer to the edge of that raging river where the, where the road was falling in in the movie? Do you know what I'm talking about? If you know where the potholes are in your road, do you swerve for them? See, most of us end up in potholes and they're like, oh, I can't believe I hit that thing again. And some of us are in life just stuck in a pothole and you're looking up out of the pothole 
How did I get here again? How did I get neck deep in my sin again? How did I get neck deep in debt because of my materialism again? How did I get so deep in my lust that I've lost everything again? And we look out of that pothole and we think, man, is there any way to get that? And, and God says, confess your sin and I'll purify you. And, and what I want to encourage you, if you're in that pothole, then you have got to learn where that pothole is. You've got to put up some cones so that you, the next time you approach it, you swerve to the side. Maybe you look down in it, but you walk away and say, God, forgive me. And free me from temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 says, no temptation will ever come to you that God won't give you an escape hatch for. And he says, I want you to swerve around it soon enough. And, and, and I have this experience, and, and many of you have this experience where that pothole, I don't, I don't even drive down that road anymore. And God's covered it over. That pothole isn't even there he fixes it he heals where there's no way 